0: So hello, my name is Rick, the founder of Real People USA and Real People USA is the podcast destination where we talk to real people in America about real situations and real issues. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Colleen Huber, and she is a naturopathic medical doctor in Tempe, Arizona. She was the keynote speaker at the 2015 Euro Cancer Summit the 2016 World Congress on Cancer Therapy, and a keynote speaker at the 2016 World Congress on Breast Cancer. Dr. Huber is the president of the Naturopathic Cancer Society. She is a naturopathic oncologist and fellow at the Naturopathic Oncology Research Institute. She authored the largest and longest study in medical history on sugar intake in cancer patients in 2014. Her her other writing includes her books Manifesto for a Cancer Patient and Choose Your Foods Like You Like Your Life Depends On Them and she has been featured in the books America's Best Cancer Doctors and Defeat Cancer. Her academic writing has appeared in The Lancet and Cancer Strategies Journal and other medical journals. Her research interests have been in the use of therapeutic approaches targeting metabolic metabolic aspects of cancer. In 2020, Dr. Huber's research interests have focused on the health hazards of masks and lockdowns. And most and most of these peer-reviewed articles are in the primary doctor medical journal. So, with, without further delay, I would like to introduce. Dr. Colleen Hoover to the Real People USA show. How are you doing, Dr. Hoover?
1: Thank you so much, Rick. I really appreciate being here. I'm doing well, how about you?
0: I'm doing pretty good. And again, thank you for your time and I know your time is precious. So let me get right into the questions that I have for you. And again, thank you so much uh, for being a guest. And I wanna make sure that the local radio station here in Sacramento will get this, uh, this episode and I'm sure they would love to speak with you. So here's Excellent. my first question. So tell us a little bit about uh, Dr. Colleen Huber. Like where are you from and what occupations have you had before becoming uh, a naturopathic um, medical doctor?
1: Well, uh, well, let me start when I was uh, 17 years old uh, because that is pertinent here Um I told my dad I wanted to be a doctor. He said, Oh no, don't you become a doctor. You're going to be one of those natural doctors. You will go to jail. Mm. And I said, "Uh," He said, You're good at foreign languages. Become a translator. So I said, Okay, I was actually cool with it. I enjoy foreign languages. Uh, For uh, the next, um, let's see, I think it was about 15 years, I uh, was translator of Spanish legal documents. And, uh, I had lived in Latin America briefly, and also I'd grown up in a Latin American community. And, uh, well, I mean, partly Latin American, uh, community. So, that, that was okay. Yeah, I did that. Um, eventually we human translators kinda got sidelined by freetranslations.com, Google Translate, and other free translations that humans have trouble competing with if we need to, uh, put food on the table. <laughs> So, okay, but I still, all those years, I wanted to go to medical school. I wanted to study medicine, and as Dad said, yes, I did want to do natural medicine. Uh, back in, you know, when Dad warned me, he was right. But uh, by the time it was about like, mm, I don't know, two, early 2000, no, late 1990s, I said, Dad, I still uh, want to go to medical school. Of course, I was an adult and didn't need permission at that time. But, uh, he, and, <laughs> and, and, yeah, he passed several years ago, uh, um, Uh, he lived to his late 80s actually but anyway he was on board by the time i mean because the tide had turned and by the early 2000s it was more acceptable to uh natural medicine was becoming a little bit more mainstream whereas uh you know i remember i'm old enough to remember when whole foods was just a little specialty store with hardly any cars in the parking lot and now uh, they have these mega stores where massive parking lots have every space filled and, uh, you know, so uh, thinking of things in a natural way and not necessarily always the better living through chemistry uh, viewpoint that had pervaded, I guess, um, you know, American life through the 50s, 60s, 70s. Anyway, uh, people were more accepting of the idea of natural medicine. Um, hmm. Anyway, so that's what I ended up doing. Hmm.
0: Go ahead. So what's your educational I actually started background? I
1: conventional. Yeah. So
0: what is your, what is your educational background? Uh, because I, I know it takes a lot and I've saw, I, I saw some of your, your, your experience. What educational path did you take to get to where you are today?
1: Yes, I actually I'm a little bit different than most naturopathic physicians who went straight from their bachelor's degree to naturopathic medical school but I actually started in a more conventional medical program but I would rather not say where because I just don't want to you know be disparaging toward any one school but uh, the conventional medical program that I did my first two years in was very disappointing Uh, and the reason I say that is there was no nutrition education. Now you might think well duh of course we know medical doctors uh, and conventional physicians don't know anything about nutrition but at that particular school they said oh if you're interested in natural medicine you've come to the right place and I thought I had but it, you know it was a conventional medical curriculum the little bit of nutrition that they mentioned was an utter joke it was nothing and I knew that that was not going to be adequate for my education. I mean, nutrition, I think, is the cornerstone of good medicine. It's the most basic treatment modality. I really needed far more than that conventional program was giving me. So, all of the the credits that I had built up to that time, I transferred over to naturopathic medical school. Mm-hmm. I still needed four years in naturopathic medical school because there are twice as many courses and twice as many classroom hours in the naturopathic medical curriculum and uh so i still needed all that time because nutrition must be studied uh, in order six successful courses in nutrition six successful courses in botanical medicine acupuncture and traditional chinese medicine all these must be done in order and uh, you can't be ripping threads out of the tapestry to tailor your own curriculum so it did um yeah it did take a bit but uh eventually you know, I had completed the whole curriculum, the naturopathic medical curriculum. Anyway, ended up graduating as an NMD, which was naturopathic medical doctor.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Now I hear the passion in your voice about what you, what you're doing right now. What was that one thing, or maybe several things that motivated you to say, this is what I want to do. And, I, and I'm, I'm hearing you when you said, you know, the traditional medical school wasn't your cup of tea, and I and I do understand exactly what you're saying because I've heard that from many people. But what's your story about what pushed you forward to pursue naturopathic uh, medicine?
1: Well, um, I, I guess I'll never forget when I attended the graduation. Of the first school, of that class I had started with, the conventional program, and one of my classmates was standing there in his cap and gown, and he was angry. On his graduation day, it should have been one of the happiest days of his life, and he said, they lied to us. Mm. They told I said, but weren't you you know, weren't you able to, you know, find any natural aspects of that curriculum? I know I left because there was no natural aspect of the curriculum. I said, couldn't you couldn't you go to a residency that emphasized natural medicine? He said, There are none. And no, it did not get better after you left. It was the same old, same old. And he was very disappointed because he had also been promised by that school, hey, if you want natural medicine, you've come to the right place. And, uh, you know, he stuck it out, whereas I jumped ship and went to the naturopathic curriculum. And so we were comparing notes that day on his graduation day. And I just wish that he didn't have to, you know, feel anger when he was standing there in his crap cap and gown. And he should have felt, you know, been able to feel, you know, much pride and optimism and everything. Well, anyway, uh, I'm, I kind of haven't looked back. I'm just glad I did what I did.
0: Excellent. Excellent. So let's move on to the subject of sugar. So the the subject of sugar in food and sugar intake have been a hot topic in the media. I think I remember maybe 10 to 20 years ago, people started talking about there's too much sugar in the food. Why are health professionals focusing on sugar intake?
1: Well, um, it's it's about time they did because uh, sugar is probably the most damaging um, food that people eat. Uh, it is creating the most uh, metabolic problems. It is the really the underlying cause of... Okay, now when I talk about sugar and it being a big problem, I'm talking about prior to 2020. Masks have uh, really eclipsed that as the biggest public health hazard, but we'll get to that later, I assume. Okay, but regarding sugar, prior to 2020, um, that was really behind the biggest causes of death in the United States. Diabetes is kind of obvious, you know, um, that it would be uh, behind the... the great increase in diabetes we've seen over the last century but also heart disease heart disease is very uh, closely tied to sugar intake and cancer definitely um from our research the research that i did that uh within, published in 2014 um sugar intake has been much higher in people who have had bad results with cancer and people who have been able to avoid sugar have had much better outcomes uh, regarding cancer at least uh, at our clinic. So um, that was a seven year study that we did on that, you know, just following people for those seven years and see how how they were doing over that time.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Now, I think I know the answer to this question, at least in my little small world as a I'm a I'm a business guy. I used to work in corporate America, but I think I know the answer to this to this question. But I'm going to ask it anyway. Why does there seem to be this constant clash between MDs? And natural medicine doctors, when it comes how when it comes down to how to cure patients.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I think there was a bit of the uh, monopolist, um, shall we say, hubris or uh, arrogance. uh, That is, nobody did there tread into their territory or trespass, as they saw it, with uh, you know their monopoly on healthcare. So, for example, DOs um you know, several decades ago were treated absolutely miserably because the doctor of osteopathy was uh treading into their territory. chiropractors well the, the, even to this day. for example, you will not hear the word chiropractor or chiropractic used in mainstream media you just uh, won't I mean it's, it's as if let's pretend that those guys don't exist I and mean, wow. uh Oh, there are some, you know, just awesome chiropractors. My own chiropractor, who I go to when I somehow twist myself into a pretzel a few times a year, I tell him he's worth his weight in platinum. He's so good. Uh, you know, there are wonderful chiropractors out there. But will you hear that word used in mainstream media? No. I mean, mainstream media is bought by pharma. You know, 70% of all um, media advertising comes, and media revenue comes from the pharmaceutical industry, as you can see by all the drug ads. Uh, that are on TV and everything. Uh, So anyway, you know, people like chiropractors, acupuncturists, herbalists, uh, naturopaths, you know, we tend to uh, make people see that the life is not only possible without pharmaceuticals. Life is greatly improved uh, once you're able to get free of the grip of many pharmaceuticals. In fact, uh, the healthiest people I know don't take any pharmaceuticals at all. Uh, So, you know, but see, we, uh, the chiropractors, the acupuncturists, uh, we, naturopathic physicians, we offer a different path, and that, that, uh, you know, challenges the dogma that, oh, no, 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 you see, the only way you can live is by uh, guidance of a medical doctor, and that guidance will include prescriptions for various pharmaceuticals. Anyway, that's why they probably wow. don't like us too much. I mean, wow, I, that, I've, I've gotten so many people, I've gotten so many people off so many drugs, and and pointed out the utterly uselessness of the other drugs. Uh, that um, they probably, you know, that I would I would guess that the pharmaceutical industry uh, is just reconfirmed in their disgust with us because of that.
0: Well, I'm glad someone is is, is, is looking out for us, other than just uh, asking us to take this pill or. You know, go to the pharmacy and get these get this medication. So I really appreciate your honesty on that, because I've always thought there there has to be other ways to cure people. You know, I grew up in a uh, sort of a Caribbean family in Florida, uh, Haitian and Cubans. And uh, so I can relate to having alternative medicine or alternative solutions uh, to different types of uh, illnesses. But let's move on to this next section. And this is a section. That I never, I I did not think I would see this coming. And we're talking about January 2020, December 2019, the coronavirus. Fast forward, now we're putting on these masks. And we're doing all these these things that some say work and some say do not. So please highlight uh, your article that you co-authored with other uh, doctors regarding masks and hypercapnia and and some of the other subjects. So take it away. I know you have a lot to say about this.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that article turned out to be the third article in our series on the hazards of masks. And, uh, Okay, so what we examined in that particular article was the physiology of mask hazards. And what I mean by that is what is happening inside the body when you are putting on a device that obstructs breathing. Well, to obstruct breathing in the first place is something that uh, should strike all of us as a little bit odd, alarming, or probably not advisable. And the reason for that is if we look around in nature, we don't see any. Uh, animal, or even plant, that uh, puts a deliberate uh, obstacle in its respiratory process. So, um, how uh, species can expect to continue to be successful and survive that should raise questions in everybody's mind. Now, uh, when we do place that obstruction there, of that mask, a couple of things happen. Um, one is, the oxygen that we normally would take in has a barrier to it, and the carbon dioxide that we would normally breathe out has some barrier. Now, people say, well, don't worry about that, because the mesh of the mask is so broad that it's very easy for those little molecules to, you know, go past that mesh. Yeah, and and they say, well, you know, how is it that, uh, you know, the mask?" Supposedly is not going to stop a virus, but it stops even smaller molecules of these, you know, oxygen and carbon dioxide. And my answer to that question is a matter of volume. It takes only a tiny microscopic amount of viral material to create an infection. And only has to happen once. However, when you breathe in or out, when you breathe in, you're taking a half liter to one liter of air with every breath. OK, so then exhale that. Repeat in a few seconds. All right, So that is a massive amount of air. And uh, the oxygen that comes in, the carbon dioxide that has to leave, does have to happen without obstruction, because what's going to happen is that even if you have no matter how small the molecules are, the volume is so large that any obstacle is going to create turbulence eddies of uh, recycled, recycled, recirculated uh, air. And um, the carbon dioxide in massed airspace turned out to uh, rise rather quickly. Yeah, mm-hmm. we measured that. So I don't know if you want me to talk about how we measured that. Um, well, I of, know you talked. Uh, no, oh yeah, go well, ahead. I know.
0: I know you have. A, you, you gave me a chart <laughs> with. Uh, yeah, right. With with a, with a lot of different uh, measurements, and I I recall when this mass uh, thing came out, there was a video that I saw. That this guy had this um, this 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 meter that measured the oxygen uh, with the mask on and the oxygen intake without the mask on, and it was markedly yeah. different. <laughs> it was like almost like ten percent, eleven percent different. He had he uh, inhaled eleven percent less oxygen
1: right. with the mask exactly. on,
0: and I said to myself. This needs. This is like very because I was in the military, you know, we're wearing different types of uh, chemical warf, warfare mask, and I recalled that my oxygen intake was definitely obstructed, even with the with the charcoal filters that filters that we had on the side. And I just can't yeah. imagine someone walking around forever, you know, for four hours, five hours, eight hours a day with the mask on. But please talk about your chart and the measurements and, and what you found.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. What we found was that it was in a very short amount of time. I think it was within thirty seconds. All of the masks had surpassed the OSHA uh, cutoff, the OSHA recommended cutoff, which is uh, let's keep in mind has been in uh, place since uh, the nineteen seventies. That um, you know, in room air, OSHA does not want uh, be or had not uh, had advised that employers not allow workers. To be in a room that was above, uh, 5,000 parts per million, um, carbon dioxide. And so we, we passed that, uh, quite easily within, uh, 30 seconds with all types of masks. The, uh, disposable the surgical mask, the cloth mask, um, N95. Uh, these all, uh, rose quickly, you know, within that time and, uh, were apparently persisting. In other words, uh, creating a carbon dioxide-heavy uh, uh, atmosphere that was available to the lungs. So what we asked was, I mean, how is this different from, uh, you know, high carbon dioxide in room air? To have it in the mass airspace, because basically in either case, this is the air that is available to the airways and the lungs. So it really uh, shouldn't be uh, counted differently. Wow, wow and then you know masked people have shown uh, damage from wearing masks so mm-hmm. we talked about that in our paper
0: so you you mentioned the word uh, or the the, the, the the illness or the diagnosis of hypoxia please explain to the to the listeners what is hypoxia
1: yeah hypoxia is hypo which is low oxygen uh, uh, low a condition of low oxygen in the body mm-hmm Hypoxemia with the condition of low oxygen in the blood. And actually, that was measured um, by uh, mask wearers. That, w- that was measured in mask wearers. In fact, even surgeons had been measured to have uh, measurable deoxygenation who had been wearing masks. Turned out, mm-hmm. uh, they've been wearing masks uh, for no good purpose at all, because um, mask surgeries resulted in more infections in the patients than unmasked surgeries. So oh, wow. masking has not even been—that's right—and we we cite those articles, and you'll see the end note there um, regarding the. Oh, it might not be in this paper. I think it's in one of our other papers. I, I've written five papers on mask hazards now. So uh, forgive me if um, that particular footnote I might have to apply to you a little bit later. But anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, it was found that, uh, you know, uh, the thing is, and I can tell you why that is if you want to know. Sure. Um. Okay, so it turns out, take an unmasked person, there are respiratory droplets, and they drop, uh, you know, pretty closely in front of us. But as soon as, and this was a Duke University study that showed this, when you have the mesh of a mask, those respiratory droplets are now broken up into aerosolized viral particles, they are smaller. They dry more quickly, they're lighter in the air, and they tend to float and linger in the air longer. They will also uh, spread farther. This is forward, out of the mesh of the mask, than from an unmasked person. So like I say, unmasked person, you know, these respiratory droplets are falling pretty close to us when we have them. But the masked person, those respiratory droplets are being pushed against the mesh of the mask. And just like if you, um, you know, if you put a screen in front of a garden hose or an aerator on your uh, faucet, you are going to break up that as water droplets into smaller. Okay? And um so that is what's happening with the um, with the mesh of the mask. It's pushing these viral particles further, lighter, drier, hanging in the air longer. Um, there was something else that was found. This wasn't that was the Duke University study. Now another study found that there's also the nozzle effect from the sides of masks. And when people breathe out of, of their masks, the nozzle effect on the sides of the mask, and also not only the side jets, but brow jets, chin jets, um, you know, the sides of the nose, these are uh, forcing air farther and up to several meters. So, wow. this is why, by the way, it's those two mechanisms I mentioned, those are the two physical reasons that um masks are are uh we're seeing more COVID in masked populations. So in other words, populations with mask mandates uh within a short amount of time pretty reliably have higher COVID. And if you look uh right now at like Florida and Texas with fewer masks, and California and uh New York, New Jersey with higher masks. Uh, there are more hospitalizations, more cases, more deaths of COVID in the higher mass populations. And, uh, you a lot you good work on sense. this. Yeah, and a lot of good work on this was done by Rational Grounds, by the way. You've probably mm-hmm. seen their uh, mask charts.
0: So basically what, what you said, and I caught this one part that really um, uh, increased my curiosity. You're saying that when someone breathes out with the mask on, it breaks up the the carbon uh, dioxide that's coming out and it makes it a smaller molecule so it goes further instead of it just no, no. dropping uh,
1: Oh, out. sorry, I said that wrong. Uh, sorry, I, I didn't mean to imply that. I meant to imply that it's the respiratory droplets, you know, the little drops of, of saliva. Uh, th- th- that's yes. what's getting broken up. And it's, gro- yeah, that's getting broken up into aerosolized, just aerosolized uh, vapor and that vapor is carrying viral particles i didn't mean to yes. say that the carbon dioxide oh no is i understand. From
0: i from think I, I think i said it wrong but i understood you correctly i, I think uh, i okay, used the okay. wrong words but yes you, we're, right. we're, we're saying the same thing and say, i always thought that i said why would someone you know want to put the mask on because i always said that if i if i have to sneeze i'm not going to sneeze in the mask right i mean i'm, I'm naturally going to pull the mask down and sneeze because I, I don't want to i don't want the stuff that came out of my sneeze right you know close to my face again
1: and exactly and that there was a study that actually looked at that too they looked at masked people and just naturally just spontaneously what do they do when they sneeze they pulled their mask down right away and they sneeze into their elbow well that's what we do anyway we sneeze into the well, elbow you know
0: you can tell the people that that performed that study I, I, I validate it,
1: <laughs> it so yeah. funny
0: so tell us about yeah, the impact a of um, thing. Yes yes it's spontaneous tell us about right. the impact on children wearing masks because i've heard that the children have like a 99.9999 percent of not even catching the covid 19 virus please speak on that
1: correct and if you don't mind if i'm going to speak on that i'm going to sound very much to you like a revolutionary so i hope you know go say- ahead
0: this real people usa okay. that's that's why you're here
1: All right. Well, uh, I I have to tell you about that particular issue. I am totally on fire. I mean, what, what has been done to children in 2020 is the most horrible thing. We have scared children, or, I'm, I'm not going to say we because I'm not part of this, you're not part of that effort, but uh, you know, Team Apocalypse is what journalist Alex Berenson calls them, or uh, yeah, Team Hysteria might be another word for them, um, but the people who are saying, oh my gosh, COVID hope, is, have been uh, scaring children and making, and by the use of the mask and, and forcing the masks on children, the message to them has been that they are walking uh, bioweapons terrorists, you know? Mm. I mean, mm-hmm. what what kind of message is this to give to children? How on earth are they supposed to grow out of the psychological damage inflicted on them at such young ages, and then turn around and reason, oh gee, I think that was bogus, and uh, I'll I'll forgive them and I'll just be normal from now on. So look at the damage that is must be done to children by all this, I, I am really hoping that children and, and youth ally against whoever, whatever bullies are trying to obstruct their breathing and start confronting them and um, they don't have to confront them by kicking them in the shins but I think it would be well-deserved uh, <laughs> confronting them though, uh, you know, as, as the bullies they are. One, uh, anybody who obstructs the breathing of another person, especially by force, or authority? Look at look at all the laws they're violating. One, I would say that the mask is a medical device because it is uh, it is obstructing breathing. It is changing the physiological, uh, you know, the physiology of the person who is being forced to wear the mask. Okay, so that to my mind makes it a medical device. All right, well, who prescribed that medical device? And by force, I mean, one, does that person have a license to practice medicine? Well, and not any of the governors of any of the states are trying to quote mandate unquote these masks. Okay, they none of them have a license to practice medicine. Two, what medical professional, even if they did have a license to practice medicine, how on earth do they do that without? The permission of the person why did we why did we fight world war ii why do we have the nuremberg trials why did we come up with the nuremberg code because what is enshrined in the code the lesson that everybody was supposed to learn from world war ii is whatever you do you do not conduct medical experiments you know, on people who are unwilling to undergo them. You just do not conduct medical experiments on people. And from that, we have our laws regarding informed consent, United States, code of federal regulations, title 21, if I'm not mistaken, section 20.54 talks about, uh, you know, requiring the uncoerced, okay, unpressured, uh, uh consent the freely given consent of the individual to any medical experiment and they should be fully informed first i mean that's the other half of the informed consent not only the the consent part but the informed part you know were they told about all the risks or did they have the opportunity to choose freely so you know these people are trying to force mass on others. I think those of us who can see through this and see that it's harmful and th- th- that it should never have been system in the first place, we need to start standing up a little bit more strongly against them.
0: And I totally so, agree know okay, I mean, you
1: mentioned,
0: <laughs> yeah, you, no, you, remember, you mentioned the, Nure, the Nuremberg trials and I, and I read, read that in history and, uh, and that you're exactly right. Uh, it's, it's almost as if someone has written this prescription. Except they, they, they wrote the, the prescription, but they didn't have any medical uh, evidence to support or diagnosis to support uh, writing the prescription. Nor did they look at your health to, to find out if the prescription or the drug, in this case, like you said, medical device, if this medical device is going to harm you in any way based on your current health status. So I totally agree with that.
1: That's right. Wow. Or, or even if I just say no, I, I insist on my right to breathe freely. No, thank you to your mask, even though I'm perfectly healthy. That, that that's mm-hmm. every bit as valid, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm healthy, and I don't want that to change. So no, I don't accept the mask. That you know, and okay, I could get started on the airlines, but then I'd be uh, you know ranting and raving all all over again. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> well, always- let me ask
0: you this question. You mentioned uh, in one of yeah. your papers. There are some internal organs that are negatively impacted based on all the stuff that we're doing with masks. Please talk about that for a couple oh, of
1: minutes. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, let, let's look at the brain. Uh, <clears throat> the brain is not happy when the face is masked. And how do we know that? What's the most common complaint of mask wearers? one of the most common complaints is headaches. Okay, but headache is a, uh, you know, is not to be unexpected. I mean, in other words, headache is expected if you're going to deprive oxygen to the brain. Uh, the brain's not happy with that. However, there were studies that showed slowed performance of reasoning tasks, you know, and, uh, okay, so if you wear a mask, you are, You know, not only having headaches, but you're having a a cognitive deficit. And found out that when subjects were exposed to uh, like 2,500 parts per million uh, carbon dioxide, it was like the the decision-making ability declined by like 93 percent, and that was comparable to being drunk or having a head injury. And by the way, I I see this in in my patient population. You know, everybody wants to come in and talk about COVID and lockdowns and masks, and we're always talking about this all the time. A minority of the people who come to me are masked. Do you know that whenever they ask about uh, masks, they take the longest to process what I'm telling them? Now, possibly because the unmasked people have already read this kind of thing and already become informed about it and they're already on board, but they seem to understand what I'm saying rather quickly but the unmasked people just ask me to repeat and repeat and they say, wow, I still can't process it. I think, you know, I'm, I think I'm seeing right in front of me the cognitive injury of masks. with, when I'm having conversations with masked people. You know, I'm really uh, sensing that they were taking longer to to process things,
0: so. Wow, that's that's something else. So do you want to add yeah. any comments about the lockdown? I know you you, you had in your um, research paper oh, that you have some, research oh, can lockdowns. I go back? Yeah, sure. Yes, yes,
1: but can I, can I go back? Because you asked about the, all the uh, organ systems that mass damage. Oh, mm-hmm. they, it doesn't only uh, go to the brain. I mean, we're talking lungs, heart, kidneys, immune system. I mean, uh, where should we, like for example, take the heart, take the cardiovascular system. Blood pressure has been shown to be higher in a masked person than an unmasked person. In fact, if you take it, the same person, uh, measure the blood pressure while the mask is on, take it off and measure it several minutes later. You know, it's gonna come down by like 20 points when they take the mask off. Uh, same with heart rate, you know, the heart rate is higher. Why? Because there's less oxygen, the heart is more desperate to push a little bit of oxygen around the body. The heart's beating faster. That is a sign of desperation. We have to listen to the body's signs. The body is saying, I do not like this mask. This is not good for me. Okay, now let's consider the lungs. My gosh, wait, 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 let's consider the immune system. Why are Mm -hmm. the mass people getting more COVID? I already talked about the physics aspects of it, but there's also um, the chemical aspects. You know, the hypercapnia, there's there's excess carbon dioxide. This is immobilizing the cilia in the lungs. Now, the cilia, these are these little hair-like structures, tiny microscopic hair-like structures in our airways. And what they do, um, well, one of their functions is to... Uh, push up or escalate, uh, debris and, um, and microbes to get them out of the lungs, to get them away from the airways, you know, so we won't be infected. But what happens with hypercapnia? Um, you know, they are immobilized. Okay, so that's one reason that masked people are getting more infections. And masked people get more bacterial infections as well. And, uh, that's part of the reason, but also there's, uh, more damage to the alveoli and lungs. Oh, there's something else. You wear a mask you have hypoxia this is a chemical reason that masked people have more covid not less okay so you wear a mask and the oxygen goes down the body is alarmed like i say not only does it raise blood pressure but it starts producing this chemical hypoxia inducible factor and hypoxia inducible factor happens to have a negative impact on uh on T cells now those T cells on the other hand are necessary to fight uh, to fight a viral infection. So there you go. I mean, that's the, you know, a chemical way in which uh, we are impairing our ability to fight back against infection. Sorry. You want that to is amazing. The conversation oh, no. But, but, no, no. You know what?
0: You gave our go listeners ahead. a quick chemistry lesson and a, and a little biology lesson. And I totally appreciate that because, I, I mean, I, I studied some of this stuff in college, but you make it it's, it's all common sense. You make it so easy to understand once you explain how the body works and how the body uh, tries to protect itself. And so I totally get it. So um, as we close, do you have any closing comments? And in your closing comments, if people want to reach out to you, I'm not sure if you, if you accept patients or not, but if people want to reach out to you, how do they contact you?
1: Oh, certainly. Uh, yes. So uh, our clinic is in Tempe, Arizona. And um, would you like? Uh, let's see. Would you like the uh, website where uh, most of our mask papers are published, or our clinic? Of, uh, or um. A or you can number. give. You
0: can give both. You can give both if you like. Okay.
1: All right. All right. Most of the papers that um, I've written on mask hazards have been peer reviewed uh, by other scientists and physicians. And they are on Primary Doctor Medical Journal, is PDMJ, as in Primary Doctor Medical Journal, pdmj.org. Okay, now uh, the clinic. So I mostly work with cancer patients, and that's what I've done for the last 14 years. Uh, that clinic is Nature Works Best Clinic. Our, um, our website is natureworksfest.com, and our phone number is 480 839 2800.
0: Alrighty, perfect, perfect. So what I will do is I will I will include those links in the body of the uh, podcast episode so it'll be there for people who listen and they want to get in contact re- with you ter- and also the telephone number. But I want to thank you for being a guest on the Real People USA uh, podcast. You've been a delight. It's been a very educational process and I thank you from the bottom of my heart.
1: Thank you so much, Rick. It's been an honor and a pleasure to speak with you. I really appreciate that you're doing the work you do. And um, I hope you send me a link so I can let uh, followers on social media know I'm on Parler at, uh, at Colleen Huber, NMD. And uh, I would like to, you know, uh, put a link to this uh, conversation.
0: I will definitely send you the link in a couple of hours. And Colleen, Dr. Colleen Huber, you have a great day.
1: Thank you so much. You too.
0: All right, bye-bye.